Good evening. You are listening to the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network movie franchise review series, Long Road to Ruin. I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And tonight is Spider-Man week. Yay! That's right. We are celebrating the release of Spider-Man No Way Home, which comes out comes out this Thursday, really, but uh, the official launch date is supposed to be Friday, December 17th. And uh, years ago, when we first started doing this series, we actually did the Sam Raimi trilogy. It was myself, Sean Comer, and Jeff Harris. Um, so I wanted to do something a little bit different to kind of celebrate the uh, this No Way Home. I wanted to have a conversation about comparing each of the three franchise iterations of the Spider-Man series, the Sam Raimi trilogy uh, that Sony came, uh, put out first and then had to cut off and re reboot, which then uh, became the Mark Webb-directed Amazing Spider-Man series, uh, of which The Amazing Spider-Man 2 was what got the second version of our movie review podcast going. That was Robert Winfrey debating, uh, moderating a debate between myself and Pat Mullen, um, which you can now hear in the archives. And then Sony and Marvel made nice, uh, and we got the Tom Holland ones, which is going on to its third movie, No Way Home. So I want to compare and contrast them. And joining me to do that, Sean will be along momentarily. But first up is Spider-Man superfan, Benjamin J. Cologne. Take yourself off mute, buddy. There you go. <laughs> Just didn't want any miscellaneous noise getting in your way. You're good to go. Um, how you doing, friend? Um, I'm uh, weary, but I'm, I'm getting excited. Uh, I'm always excited to talk Spider-Man with anybody. So, you got your tickets yet for Spider-Man No Way Home? I do. I just uh, I bought them like last week, and I actually was just uh, in the process of I, I just picked them up uh, this afternoon, and they're printed on very shoddy receipt paper. And I'm wondering if they'll <laughs> make it to Friday. Are you uh, are you going Thursday, Friday? Or are you going like Friday, Friday Monday? Friday night, Friday night. I'm gonna have to put myself in a bubble for like 24 hours before <laughs> that. I'm sure. Okay. Well. We've had you on the Rattlevision Broadcasting Network for a bunch of different Spider-Man comics. As a matter of fact, this week you'll be on a four-part Spider-Verse series with Jesse Starcher. Wow, uh, Jesse, part of our <laughs> Jesse cut it into four parts. Wow. We cut it into four parts. Yeah, <laughs> one a day starting uh, starting Monday, awesome. leading all the way up to the Thursday release of No Way Home. Boy, but we I want to keep. Yeah, we did. apparently he's he was like, Can, I'm gonna need four days for this. I was like, Wow, okay. Um, welcome to Spider-Man Week, everybody, on the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network. Nice. Uh, so we've had you on, not just for that, though. Over the years, you were, um, in fact, we re-aired this over the weekend, the Everyone Loves a Bad Guy for Spider-Man Villains. You were on that one. Oh, God, it sounded so awkward. <laughs> the early years of the RIBN. Um, we've had you on a bunch of different shows. Obviously, you have a great love of the character. When I put this out into the world that we were going to do this, because I didn't love the you know the, when we did spider-man it was like maybe our first or second time we had done long road to ruin and i did not love how that discussion came out so i was like i want another crack at this but i don't want to just redo the sam raimi trilogy let's 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 have what is really a, a a debate now amongst people is who wore it best but wore what exactly is the question so i'm i pitch it to you benjamin j cologne who is what is spider-man Oh boy, that's a very big question. Um, okay. We have you have you have five minutes to answer. No, I'm just kidding. Damn it. The time. 
Let's see here. Um, yeah, I think you, you posed a question like a, a couple of weeks ago about, um, you know, who, you know, out of the three uh, distinct like movie series, who got Peter and Spidey most right? And um, I think each one of them got aspects of Spider-Man, right? Um, and But uh, I sort of uh, seized on the idea that like the MCU kind of had the benefit of hindsight with like the you know the two previous series mm -hmm. um each of which kind of did you know did some things well and some things not so well and the um the mcu movies kind of had a had the opportunity to put together the best parts about what worked about each each of the previous two series like and then and monster eh? yeah and then combined it with you know tom holland who uh who is a great talent mm -hmm. and pro gave probably a more, a more complete uh, combination of Spider-Man's like earnestness and then teenage goofing. And I'm talking about specifically, you know, in costume Spider-Man mm -hmm. um, for Spider-Man. Um, I'd probably have to say like, I'd, I'd have to say the MCU got it, got it the most, uh, gave us the most fun Spider-Man, I think, which is very important. So what are those characteristics that if you were, so you're sitting across the table, you're at a pitch meeting for an actor and you're like, you know, you want to bring in, I don't know, your favorite actor. Who's your favorite actor right now? I don't know. My, <laughs> my favorite, I wouldn't have my favorite actor playing Spider-Man. Who, who would you have play Spider-Man if you could, if you could produce and direct your own Spider-Man movie? Uh, off the top of my head, you're going to ask me that question? Yeah, I don't sure. Know. You can uh, always be ready with answers for me. <laughs> I have no idea. I'd probably cast myself and then, you know. <laughs> Terrific. And then um, so realize what a terrible mistake I've made. <laughs> All righty. So you're sitting across the table from um, James Par um, Jim Parsons. And <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> and you're like, Jim, we're on our 87th iteration of Spider-Man. Um, you know, it, Sony has sold the rights back to Marvel, and Marvel is owned by Walt Disney, which is now owned by Pornhub. Um, and they are rebooting this franchise. And, and he, Jim Parsons like, I've never heard of Spider-Man. What is this? What are the characteristics that you would list off for him? Well, aside from telling Jim Parsons to get out of my office. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I. Uh, characteristics of, of, you know, Spider-Man specifically, um, you know, it, it's all in the in the first story. It's, uh, you know, power balance with responsibility. It's all mm -hmm. um, I. I'm going to come back to this a lot, um, mm -hmm. but I'm going to what um, because I can sum up what you know, what's great, you know, who got Spider-Man right. In, as far as movies in mm -hmm. one paragraph who got peter parker right is a much harder uh proposition and okay. uh, the, the thing is um by design uh spider-man's always um always been meant to be a character who who he is behind the mask is very important and possibly more important than you know than the, you know who is in than being the uh persona mm -hmm. uh by itself you know the being the only the persona like who he is as a person and who he was before he became a superhero is is a lot more important that's what stan lee and steve ditko seized on and you know in the earliest years it's sort of um the thing that made him unique among you know every other superhero of the time was that uh first of all that he was a teenager and second of all he was a teenager that you know uh your average middle class or lower middle class teenager you know teenage kids could 
identify with or, or see themselves in or, you know, recognize as being familiar. Um, I think that's a, an important distinction to make. You know, Iron Man's a billionaire. Reed Richards is a genius scientist who, you know, whose invention support his team. Um, you know, Captain America is an unfrozen super soldier. And it goes down and down and down the line. Everyone is either a genius or a, a sorcerer or a soldier. And I think Spider-Man is one of the first, you know, identifiable teen superheroes. Um, I mean, you, at least within the Marvel Universe, to my recollection. Um, one of the major ones, one of the ones that came to the forefront. And so when it comes to like the, the child power fantasy, it's easy to project onto Spider-Man, I think, as opposed to all these other people's, because while you might dream big that you want to be a billionaire or, you know, or Reed Richards or Dr. Strange, it's easier to see yourself as the struggling kid who it, it, it just by um, happenstance gets bitten by a radioactive spider and is you know given all of these great powers and now what to do with it it's it's an easy it's an easy place to put yourself if you're 8 9 10 11 12 right which i did mm-hmm. uh and and i'm certainly not the only one and that's why you know the character's you know endured for so long the way he has now this is where i you know i'm going to I guess more directly answer your question, like who got, like I said, I, I can sum up who got Spider-Man, right? I already did. It, to, it's <laughs> not, it, it's, that's not a hard question for me. Who who got Peter Parker most right mm. is a little bit of a, it's a little bit trickier question and it's going to give, and I'm going to give you a much trickier answer. I'm going to be, okay. well, before I'm going to be, explain what and who Peter Parker is, like what are his characteristics? Well, that I'm going to, I'm going to go into that, like, because, um, sure. Like I said, I'm gonna be depending on your on your point of view. I'm gonna be either extremely controversial or a complete and total weenie, and say <laughs> I like controversial. And say um, they all got Peter Parker right. Okay, each interesting. Series, it's each series got him right. And speaking to someone who's probably seen at least a little bit of every single medium in which Spider-Man has ever appeared, mm-hmm. uh, I find Peter. I find Peter as a character kind of incredibly consistent. Uh, throughout every movie, which is probably no small feat when you consider then you know seven going on eight movies and three directors or ten movies and four directors if you count uh, the Avengers movies and the Russo brothers, um, and I, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know how controversial a statement that is because you know I hear a lot of people say that, like the MCU Peter Parker isn't the Peter Parker of the comics because the trappings of the MCU are a crutch or a hindrance that moves him kind of far away from uh, from his roots. Hey, Sean, how's it going? Hey, y'all, how you doing? Happy holidays, everybody. Hey, Sean. So we're talking, Sean, uh, we're still trying to establish, you know, if we're going to answer the question, who got closest to Spider-Man and Peter Parker in three films, we're trying to still figure out who and what Spider-Man is. And what we're talking about right now is Spider-Man is Peter Parker, but then who is Peter Parker? Go ahead, Ben. Uh, yeah. Um... Like I said, there's a lot of, you know, uh, even as recently as like a couple of days ago, I, I he read arguments all the time about like why MCU Peter Parker is not the is not really Peter Parker is not comics accurate Peter Parker, which I very much disagree with. Um, How isn't he? Yeah. The, well, I, I, the I thing just, is, I'm sorry. I, I missed that part. How is he not? Well, is the he art- not accurate to the heart and soul of comic Peter Parker. 
the argument, and I'm going, I'm going to get to my refutal, re, you know, uh, refuting of that argument. But just a lot of people seem to, you know, fixate on like the MCU trappings and using the Stark technology and having that to fall back on and having, you know, and even aside from the argument that, you know, the entire, the, the previous two and now going on the third MCU Spider-Man movie is all about Peter Parker learning to, you know, to exist, uh, you know, to exist in his own identity and to exist in his own world and where, you know, where that technology fails him, he still has to come through on his own. Um, see, I, you know, I, I argue the MCU, put the, the, the argument that people, uh, you know, give about MCU Peter, because uh, that's only true if you believe Peter Parker's character is, is defined by his environment, which has never really been true. I think he's been very recognizable as, you know, shy, goofy, carrying the weight of the world, Peter Parker in every movie. It's actually mm -hmm. been, it's, it's considering how many creative hands have been in all three, you know, all three <laughs> movie series. The character, when you cut him down to, you know, down to the, to, to the basics has been remarkably consistent. It's just the circumstances surrounding him that change sometimes drastically and sometimes not. But the way he approaches them are consistent from movie to movie and from series to series. And this is, you know, to I'm gonna finally answer your question, Mark. Um, when you take when you take away all the trappings of each individual series and, and the tweaks to the origin uh from the Sam Raimi movies and the weird, you know, Peter's parents backstory from from the amazing movies and the uh existing in the larger Marvel cinematic universe, like the most recent movies. Peter Parker in each movie is, is the essence of what the character has been in, in 59, almost 60 years. <clears throat> Next year is going to be 60 years. Uh, who is someone who never, ever, ever wants someone to get hurt as okay. a result of his failing to act. Because the one time he did fail, he, it cost his uncle his life. And right. It's, it's a it's a mistake that he can never forget, and he will spend the rest of his life, sort of. Uh, I you know I most people say atoning for. I've gotten into this argument too with with Jesse. It not not an argument because I've just you know he he doesn't really argue with me. He kind of agrees with me in, in, to a point. Um, but that you know. Uh, Peter Parker as a as as a character is often portrayed as driven by guilt, mm -hmm. and, I, and I don't particularly like that characterization of Peter. I think you know anybody if you're driven by guilt a lot long enough, uh, guilt being driven by guilt doesn't. I don't think on a long enough timeline it doesn't make you heroic. It makes you homicidal. <laughs> um, yeah, and. Um, I think it started out as I've said this before. I think it started out as guilt. I think it very quickly became driven by sort of honor. And mm -hmm. Peter Parker, you know, uh, Spider-Man is Peter Parker's tribute to Ben Parker. That's why he endures. That's what the character is. And that's what he, you know, keeps putting on the costume for. It's to pay tribute to somebody who he, you know, who was everything to him and he, he feels like he failed him once mm -hmm. and uh he has to spend the rest of his life you know honoring the sacrifice that was made so what i think about peter parker and or spider-man 
Um, and I think about the three different portrayals. If I'm sketching a character, you know, and handing it to an actor who's never read a Spider-Man comic and doesn't know who this person is and going, okay, what's my motivation? Um, the first thing that comes to mind is Spider-Man is sarcastic. He's he's very sarcastic. He, um, he is always taunting his villains. There's always like a running commentary. And, I, and I'm taking this directly from the comics. Um, there's always like a running commentary where he's um, BS talking, you know, whoever he's fighting against. He's always making quips and, and comments and uh, calling names and whatnot. He's very funny. Um, Peter Parker always... There was an earnestness about him, and I and I think where where I picked up the Spider-Man comics, he was already an adult and wasn't really in school anymore. That's all like the '60s and '70s era right. Spider-Man. By the time we get to the '80s and '90s, where I'm reading it, he is well out of school. And you know, and and again, most people, <laughs> you're not the same person you were in high school as you are in your 20s and 30s. I'm, so, the, same, I'm the same height. <laughs> so, so Peter Parker is different, and he's motivated motivated by different things. I mean, at his heart, yes, he's motivated to do good and not let innocent people uh, get killed. But I think you know, he as a as a person, then when he's and and this is my struggle, and I'll pitch it over to Sean um, just to kind of keep the conversation moving. But I look at Tobey Maguire's, and I just watched all of these between yesterday and today. I watched the first three Sam Raimi and the, the first Amazing Spider Man again. I watched them with Jonas. And um, Tobey Maguire plays the character as, and, and, it, and it's directed and written this way, as almost love lost. He is, you know, his motivation seems to be about Mary Jane, you know, and, and I feel like all three of the movies revolve around his relationship with her. Um, and, and, and Sean and I covered that at length when we discussed this, it feels like a decade ago, um, and which I don't love. In retrospect, I, I don't love that portrayal of Peter Parker. I feel like Peter, I feel like that cuts him a little too simply. It makes him a little too flat, um, that he's just running around the world chasing Mary Jane. Toby, um, Andrew Garfield, and I argued this with Pat back when we talked about the movie Spider-Man 2, I thought he got the closest at the time to Peter Parker. Um, he develops some self-assuredness over time, but he doesn't start off that way. Uh, none of them do. But I think, you know, I, th I think he, he seemed like there was more angles to him than there was Tobey Maguire. Like, he seemed like there was more going on. I was thinking about a conversation he has with Uncle Ben, where Uncle Ben's telling him about his father, and he, you know, and then he goes off about, um, you know, well, wh where's my father now? You don't, I, I don't, I never, I never got that from Tobey Maguire. The one thing I'll say about Tom Holland is, you know, he's charming. Um, he's not quite as witty as Andrew Garfield. I actually don't think Tom Holland's <clears throat> as good of an actor as Andrew Garfield. He's not a bad actor by any stretch, but I definitely think he's, um, I definitely think that Andrew Garfield acts circles around both of these guys, just in general. Um, and so when I think about Tom Holland Spider-Man, I think about, there's a lot... The, the biggest characteristic I find in, in Tom is his earnestness, his all shuckness. Like, I think he gets the closest to high school Peter Parker, right? Um, I think Toby, I think Andrew Garfield gets the closest to, you know, over a long stretch of time, what I remember Spider-Man to be post high school. I don't even think, Sean, when you think about the three different Spider-Mens, what, what are some of your feelings? I think Sean is frozen. Um, so until we get Sean back here, you want to uh, 
Yeah, I had one thing that I. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Um, that 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 also kind of goes back to um, another question that you had, which which is which feel, series feel like uh, most like the source mm -hmm. material. Um, and my once again cop out answer is it depends on which source material. <laughs> um, so my shorthand wasn't, and, and I also watched. I watched all. I, I watched you know all three series worth of Spider-Man movies, uh, mm -hmm. you know, starting about a week and a half ago and ending like last night. And the, you know, having read a lot of different Spider-Man comics from a lot of different eras, like I can recognize which era is, you know, which uh, actor and which series reminds me of which era the most. Um, mm -hmm. What I seized on was like Raimi Spider-Man is, um, Raimi Spider-Man feels like Stan Lee and John Romita era. Okay. Which is which is late late sixties early seventies, um, you know when uh, Peter's uh, Peter's kind of in the throes of you know like post you know teenage angst and mm -hmm. um, he's you know uh, the the series really becomes like you know a mainstream hit and uh, it really finds its place in the in the pop culture. Um, Amazing Spider Man, the you know Andrew Garfield series is. Um, a little bit closer to Stanley and Steve Ditko's era, which is, you know, from the beginning, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the first three or four years of the character. Oh, Welcome back, Sean. I'll, Hi. I, 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 I took your, I took your spot. I promise I will shut up in a minute. Um, no, 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 no. You're, you're fine. For some reason, my connection was just fuck awful there for about the five minutes I was trying to participate in the conversation. So right. we did. I, I hope you're, hope you're okay now. Um, I think so. So I was just saying, like, um, you know, breaking down, like, you know, which which source material reminds me, you know, which I'm reminded of, depending on which character. I said the, the Raimi movies feel like Stanley and John Romita. Amazing Spider-Man feels more like Stanley and Steve Ditko, where where Peter's awkward but a little kind of brassier, like he's he's you know kind of a little bit more of a smart ass. He's got you know issues with authority figures nice. that seems to come up a little bit more than and. Um, some of the Jerry Conway era, which is like uh, mid mid seventies, and and if if you're if you're not familiar specifically with, with Jerry Conway, the big thing with Tom Holland um, in Homecoming was he had already been in Civil War, and I'm, I am going to go to a very specific place with this. So just bear with me for a second. But mm -hmm. in Civil, you know, so he's already been in Civil War, which means he's gotten a taste of being Spider Man and being a superhero, and so half of Homecoming is him trying to reconcile. The, I want to be a superhero with I have to be a teenager. And that's that Spider-Man, at least for Homecoming. And my question to you is, is there a writing team or is, or an era where Absolutely. that's kind of Spider-Man for a while? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, MCU Spider-Man is Ultimate Spider-Man. It's, it's okay. Brian, Mike, Brian yeah. Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley, 100%. One hundred percent. Which you know, and Brian Michael Bendis will be the first to tell you he took his cues directly from Stanley and Steve Ditko. Mm -hmm. um, that's not it. That's not an idea that he came up with. Uh, that's that's the character in a nutshell. Is is balancing wanting to be a hero with wanting yeah. to be a regular teenager. It's just uh, MCU Spider Man is you know younger and you know more modern and and is more recognizable as the the version of Peter Parker that Bendis had been writing uh for 16 years uh he, his run went from 2000 I think to 2016 um uh, in including creating Miles Morales and kind of sending him off into the world on his own to 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 do 
you know, tell similar stories with, with him. Let me get, let's get Sean into the conversation here. Sean, we're jumping right into who are at best, Toby, Andrew, or Tom. What are your thoughts? <laughs> we're having difficulties with Sean tonight. Oh, man. Um, Sean, if you can hear me, you're frozen um, again. Try uh, plugging yourself back in again when you have a second. Let's keep going with the conversation here. <laughs> um, so my thoughts here, uh, and I don't know how much you, you wanted to respond to, was that um, I appreciate the Tom Holland series so far, and, and I'll tell you why. So if we're just talking about like the series of movies as a whole, um, and specifically how Spider-Man is presented in them. Um, I've enjoyed the, I've enjoyed the, uh, the Tom Holland MCU ones. Uh, I'm probably in the minority in, in thinking that I think to me, and, and I know this is controversial, drove Pat right up the wall. I think the amazing Spider-Man, um, is probably, probably comes the closest to, hitting all the all the right notes as close as you get into hitting all the right notes for a spider-man adaptation but sean while we still have you and you're not frozen go ahead and jump in okay so my thoughts are that toby mcguire is probably the best peter parker with tom holland being a damn close second but i would qualify that kind of along the lines of what ben said in that they're playing very very different iterations mm -hmm. on peter parker uh toby strikes me as the more classic peter mm -hmm. he has that quality that when i read spider-man now that i've after seeing those two movies it's got kind of that kevin conroy mark hamill like quality Mm -hmm. We're in your head forevermore. That's the voice you hear the dialogue in. He he just nails like like Ben said that Ramita that I think it was the uh, Ramita Stanley Peter mm -hmm. just that just that closely. Um, Holland is much more is much more akin to Ultimate Peter Parker. Mm -hmm. That's not a bad thing. It's just different because that's the Peter that's going to fit best within the MCU. Um, I can't really imagine that classic Lee Romita Peter gelling quite as well with those versions of the characters. We and, may be about to find out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we, we just might. And I will say this, Tom really takes the character takes Peter, reimagined for a modern setting, mm -hmm. and makes him his own. Um, it's And it's something that not every actor in the MCU has been able to effectively do with the characters. Um, like I said, it's that, you know, when you read the comics after seeing the movie, do you kind of in your head hear all the dialogue in there? in their voice. The opposite end of the spectrum, as much as I like Brie Larson, is that I don't read my favorite run on Captain Marvel, you know, Kelly Sue DeConnick's run, and hear her in my head that effectively with, a, with that dialogue. She doesn't, to me, embody Carol Danvers that way. Um, whereas on the other hand, 
I got to give Andrew Garfield credit where it's due. A few moments aside, he was probably the best Spider-Man. Okay. I think I think Ben and I have been through this before. I from the first Amazing Spider-Man, I hate the fucking carjacking sequence because <laughs> it always strikes me more as an SNL parody of Spider-Man. Mm. Whereas, on the other hand. Andrew as Peter just strikes me as too as a little too much of kind of a kind of a cool guy hipster skater. Can I really quick Sean Jonas so we started so we watched uh the first we watched Sam Raimi 1 and 2 yesterday we watched 3 this morning and then we went right into Amazing Spider-Man 1 and the first words out of Jonas's mouth were so why is he a punk rock skater? And I about yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, Jonas is Jonas is not wrong. Can I because to, okay. because to me that that's not Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter Parker to me was yeah, kind of kind of the the ins kind of kind of the insecure, confused, lost nerd mm-hmm. that really became more acquainted with him with himself upon becoming Spider-Man and really came into and really came into his own. Let me ask you both a question. Um, I'm going to and so Sean can not feel like he was interrupted, but I want you to think about sure. this as well. Sure. Uh, so Sean and then Ben, my biggest gripe, and I said this earlier, you might have missed it, Sean, because you were having difficulties um, Probably. With, your, with your equipment, um, is that I've never seen Peter Parker as um in 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 eternal puppy dog love like yes he cared for gwen stacy till she got chucked out a window or off the high precipice which is now an ongoing joke with my son and i oh look there goes mary jane off the cliff again um but uh you know i yes he loved gwen stacy dearly and he loved mary jane and that was certainly a an ongoing beat through any iteration of spider-man um except for when he had a thing for black cat and mockingbird but we don't have time to get into all that uh, my, my my point is that while Spider-Man loved hard, I didn't think it was the core of who he was. And that is what, that I've always felt it was how Sam Raimi seems to have characterized Peter Parker uh, in his trilogy, Sean. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Um, I I don't know. I don't know that there was really a question in there for me to. I, I don't think he's like that in the comics, essentially. Am I right or wrong? Because I mean, you seem to you seem to agree with not, me that that is the characterization in the movie, but I don't get the I sense mean, that that was who he was in the comics. Not much not much of the Spidey that I've read. Mm-hmm. Um, then again, I will I will admit right out right out front. I mean, Spider-Man is not primarily my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ben is Ben is our resident scholar in that regard. So, but is the comic book Spider-Man a long uh, a love lost puppy dog? He can be. Um, okay. If you uh, going back to what I said about um, you know the uh, the uh, Stanley and John Romita comics, if you see if you've seen and Stan has some some background in romance comics, and so does John Romita. If you've seen if you see some of the early like relationship interactions with Peter and Gwen Stacy in those early comics in the seventies, okay. 
you will need a dentist. Um, <laughs> that that might be why I, I one I haven't read that era of Spider Man too. Right, and the, it's it, that also it's, might be it, why I look at Sam Raimi Spider Man and be like, why? Why are we doing? But this? It, it's not, you know, it's. I'm just saying, it's not based on nothing. It's mm. uh, it's mm. it it's there to draw from it. I think there's also kind of the issue that, um, and this was made very clear by how much by pretty much propelling the two amazing Spider-Man movies into, you know, into what, into quality, if not, you know, if not watchability was the chemistry that, you know, uh, Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield had, which oh, is the, sure. the best chemistry between, you know, the, the best, you know, on screen, like romance chemistry that, that okay. so I said in, to you in earlier, the entire series. I said to you earlier, Ben, that I, I didn't know if we were going to have time to do who wore it best with the girls, but it's almost like I, the only the reason why I didn't want to address it was because if your choices are Kirsten Dunst, who everyone seems to hate, and Zendaya, who no one seems to think is Mary Jane, your only choice left is the wonderful, the great, the vivacious Emma Stone, who is a hell of an actress in her own right. And if there's a, an opposite opinion of that, I'm willing to hear it. But it's like I don't know if there's anything there to talk about. But yeah, but her and her and Andrew Garfield, if you're just watching them on screen, have mm. amazing, just yeah. 10 out of 10 oh, yeah. chemistry. I, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm also speaking a little bit from like, you know, 2000s nostalgia and, mm -hmm. you know, my own personal crush on Kirsten Dunst for, uh, sure. for based, based on that first movie. I don't dislike her mm -hmm. in, in uh, any of the, the three Raimi Spider-Man movies. She's just not given a whole hell of a lot to do as the series goes on. No, she's so getting up and thrown off things. That's, yeah, that's to, her, and then she yells at Peter. Yeah, to the point where, like in Spider-Man Three, you're just like, "Go away!" And it's not her—it's not her fault. She's not a bad actress. Uh, she doesn't—you know—we thought she had pretty good chemistry with uh, Tobey Maguire until you saw what chemistry was in the next series. And yeah, then it was like, "Oh, okay, that's what that was supposed to be." To close this out, and I'm gonna give Sean the final word, and then we're gonna move into the villains. Um, but to close this out, what I hear is. Tobey Maguire and Tom Holland um, probably do Peter Parker the best. They're about a tie for the best Peter Parker. Mm -hmm. But Andrew Garfield's um, Spider-Man specifically is probably better than either of the other two. If you're just talking about character portrayal, I give then, like, I give Andrew less. <laughs> I'd give Andrew Garfield credit for at least uh, doing a pretty good Queens accent. <laughs> Sean, take me home on the Spider-Man. Who wore it best? Ah. <sighs> I got to agree with that. I mean, they're all playing on, I think, very specific takes on Spidey. But all in all, Andrew was Andrew was the best web slinger, weakest Peter Parker of the bunch. But um, like I said, Toby and Tom, they they nailed everything I would ex I would expect Peter to be. And the, here's a high compliment: they nail Peter Parker on roughly the same level that Robert Downey nailed Tony Stark. That's fair. Well, That's before we statement. move into the villains, which depending on how we talk about this, we could be on this podcast for 10 hours. So we really have to watch ourselves. Um, if you're right, if you're trying to write a characterization of somebody and you're just getting stuck and all the words are spelled wrong, you should check out Grammarly for you listeners of long road to ruin on Rattledge and broadcasting network. 
brought to you by W2M. Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. You download Grammarly today. Go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, it's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. You know, Ben and Sean, I think my problem with the next part of this conversation is that there are Spider-Man villains that have very specific, very sharp characterizations, Green Goblin, uh, Dr. Octopus. Then there are Spider-Man characterizations where they're just goons in funny costumes. And... <laughs> And sometimes they take the goon in the funny costume and they give him a whole thing. And it's like, oh, let's let's make a thing out of this electro. Um, and let's and then they, you know, then, then you have, you know, like I said, the green goblin thing where it's a very, very specific thing. And so um over the course of all of these films from uh Spider-Man to Far From Home, we've had Green Goblin, we've had uh Dr. Octopus, we've had Venom. We've had Sandman. We've had Sun O Green Goblin. Then we had the Lizard. Um, we had <laughs> we had yet again Son of Green Goblin, Electro, and Rhino, and then finally Vulture and uh, Mysterio. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to really stick to what we know of them from the comics, whether we do know a lot about them or not. Um, how close the portrayals to the comic were. Um, I mean, we all have our preferences. We could be here for another 12 hours talking about which ones we liked better or, you know, which ones were part of the better story or made the better antagonist. But really, I want to, what seems to send people up right up the wall is when they slap the name of a character on somebody that is no way, shape, or form that character at all. You know, it's it, the in, in name only. Mm -hmm. So, you know, let's talk about this. You know, I'll start with you, Sean. Who do you think of the characters I just named got closest to their comic book uh, analog? Well, Need again, again, <laughs> again, disclaimer, mm -hmm. Spidey is not my, my foremost well of comic knowledge, sure. but from what I have seen, closest to the comics, I would say... Willem Dafoe is Goblin, mm -hmm. and Doc Ock being a a, a somewhat close second, mm -hmm. uh, much less much less melodramatic in speech. Sure, um, but certainly close enough to absolutely be recognizable. But. Then again, I would also kind of qualify that by saying that some of the best portrayals have been a few of the actors who took the villains and really went their own way. Mm -hmm. uh, namely, Thomas Hayden Church's Sandman, yeah, which I, I got to be honest, I think gives Defoe an absolute run for his money as the best villain portrayal in any of the three timelines. Sure, absolutely. And, comparing to his analog, I think Thomas Hayden Church yeah. gives a wonderful performance of, oh, oh, of a he, character. 
<laughs> he he blew it out of the water and yeah. the absolute biggest travesty of Spider-Man 3 we was the fact that, that you and I yeah was the fact that everything else was so bumbling that <laughs> it wasted an absolutely magnificent performance and Keaton's vulture yeah I thought was absolutely superb despite being seemingly just about as goddamn far removed from Adrian Toomes in the comics yeah. or any other media I've seen as you can get. Um, I really enjoyed, I did enjoy Reese Iphens as the lizard in the first movie, mostly because I thought the effects were mostly pretty well done. And that mm-hmm. fight sequence in the high, in the high school was just absolute tits. Yeah. Um, I, but I don't know because his, it's a little hard to say because we never really got the lizard that was being built up to in the rain movies. Right. And obviously I truly believe that had we gotten a fourth movie, that is what we would have gotten. At some point we, we would have seen the metamorphosis of Kurt Connors into the lizard. And God, I, I can never remember the actor's name. I just know that he was also outstanding in Trick or Treat. Dylan Baker. Um, Dylan Baker, thank you. Um, Dylan Baker was amazing. Uh, Jamie Foxx as Electro, just, God, Jamie was trying to do something, but I just, yeah, he was. I, I, I just wasn't, feel it, wasn't feeling it. He's um, probably the number one with a bullet of he if you don't call him electro and he's just yeah. he's just electric blue guy yeah he's fine he's a perfectly menacing <sighs> you know i got into this with um with robert and pat years ago where i said who cares what his comic book character was like he is jamie fox is a wonderful actor and i and i'm mm-hmm. tired of hearing otherwise said about him he's a no, fantastic no, he, actor he is he no is. I, I, I you know the chorus of people i deal with and they've all like yeah he sucks no he doesn't he's awesome yeah. um jamie fox is a fantastic actor and i think he and i think as villain as blue villain in spider-man 2 amazing spider-man 2 he's fantastic i think he he's appropriately menacing um they do a little bit of the what they do with like cheetah in Wonder Woman, where it's like, if I have glasses on, I'm a nerd. If I take them off, I'm hot and menacing, and you know all this yeah. other nonsense. It's a Hollywood. Yeah. At this point, it's a Hollywood trope. I'm not going to put that on Fox, yeah. but I, I, I think he, get, I think he gets a lot of discredit because everyone just hates that movie because it's overstuffed and all and all the stuff we've talked about before. Yeah. But I, I think yeah. he especially gets maligned because that's not my Electro. I'm going to let you finish up, Sean, and we'll go to Ben. Yeah, because um, I, because I only had really just two vil- just three actors and two villains left to cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, Franco was really hit and miss in the Raimi movies as Harry Osborn. Sometimes it was working for me. Mm-hmm. Most of the time it really fucking wasn't. And part of, <laughs> not, and part of that is because... He's a good actor. That's another one who everyone thinks, thinks as an actor because of what happened in Raimi's Spider-Man. Watch the deuce for pe- for God's sake. Watch the deuce. He's amazing. if you say so (laughs) um i mysterio i was always pretty ambivalent towards but Mm -hmm. i got to admit i kind of liked jake gyllenhaal with the diff with the different take Mm -hmm. on on the character again my again minus all the all the typical melodrama that you get in a lot of other 
presentations. Um, he he really kind of fit like a glove with within that setting. So sure. I so I like that. And last but not least, <laughs> jitterbugging Jesus. What was that take on Goblin in Amazing Spider-Man 2? Oh, I thought that you were going was, to for Grace, who even my fucking, son was like, what no, the hell is this? You know what? I, I've said all there is to say about Topher. Sure. And I've I've resigned myself that I think the biggest problem with Topher in, in Amazing Spider-Man 3 is that Raimi didn't want to do him because Venom did not fit within yeah. the within the um the, the Spidey wellspring that he was trying to tap into. Mm-hmm. And also and also I've resigned myself that Venom, more often than not, is just one of the least fucking interesting Spider-Man villains. He just he's he he is one of the most '90s Spider-Man villains you're apt you're apt to find, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's any secret that the best stories he was in were written in the fucking '90s. Mm-hmm. Um. But kind of within that whole setting and with everything that was being set up, you really had another opportunity to continue building towards a full-fledged Sinister Six. Yeah. And instead, you know, we just had to go with what the studio wanted because they thought that Venom was the was just the coolest villain of the lot. And we've got it, we've got to do Venom. We've got to bring Venom bring venom in because he's the he's the flashy newest of the toys yeah and just no and yes i i've i've said plenty about topher grace as eddie brock and there's just no need to say anything else i still don't think he's a great actor but i i guess i've kind of come to the compromise where i watched i rewatched predators again recently and found that no no he's he's actually capable of a decent performance but it's a combination of him also just not being my favorite actor and him just being a really really undisputably piss poor choice Trophy Grace from the same disease as what's his face, Lex Luthor. What's his real name? The one who plays Lex Luthor in the Zack Snyder movies. Jesse Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg. Oh, fuck. Jesse Eisenberg and Trophy Grace are both excellent actors, but both of them get maligned because people hate their demeanor. And so they just hate everything that they're in. It's it has nothing to do with their performance level or their ability as players. It's it the punchable face factor. It is punchable face. Yeah. It, it, is, yeah. it is like it just nails on a chalkboard to hear them speak. It, they, they, they give people the <laughs> feeling. <laughs> and, 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 and then it just colors everything that they do. Um, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, if for, for example, uh, I'll give you a totally outside of Spider-Man, even outside of Marvel example. Um, mm. A comic character that I think Topher would have, and I say this was not a trace of irony or sarcasm, would have been great playing. And that's Barbara Gordon's psychotic brother, James. Okay. 
Oh, yeah. You, yeah, yeah, exactly. You cast him as kind of an unassuming, it's the quiet ones you got to watch serial killer. Which is kind of the, like, which is like kind that. of who he played in Predators. Yeah, well, yeah, precisely. Um, or, or hmm. you know what? If you were to do a live action adaptation of the Batman story, Hush, mm-hmm. I could see Topher maybe being a decent, a decent Tommy Elliot. I could kind, I could kind of see that. But as Venom, I think you'd you've almost been better off just casting Tom Hardy. If if he'd been available at, at yeah. the time, and we're and we're just kind of remove all limitations of time and space, sure. Uh, there you go. Tom was the one who really got Venom. And then last but not least, just again back to back to the Goblin from Spider Man. I just <laughs> I don't even know what to say mm-hmm. about. That. I, I it makes me wonder if the writers had ever read a good green goblin story yeah i i I just what (laughs) what how how were you selected with that performance to try to fill the shoes of some combination of willem dafoe and james franco yeah that that was not identifiable as any iteration of the goblin that uh, that I would he would have barely been a serviceable hobgoblin. Yeah. This All is right. why this is why I'm glad every, I'm, this is why I'm glad I'm I think people have finally given up on trying to make Dale down a thing. <laughs> so tell me your thoughts, Ben. Who wore it best? Which are who got the closest to their comic book analogs from your perspective? I've got a list. I'm going to try to go down the line without taking up too much time. Here. <laughs> no, no. Take, He's got a list. Use the order of the list okay. that it's right. in. We're, we're here for as long as we need to be, right. except that we're doing 90 minutes. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Go well, ahead. There you go. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, well, I, I would say, like, the okay, the Raimi trilogy had the best villains in terms of being memorable. Mm-hmm. Uh but a lot of them kind of had largely fabricated backstories. The, the exception is Willem Dafoe is the Green Goblin. Green Goblin is probably pretty spot on. Aside from the costume, which nobody really likes, but everybody's kind of just like, you know, gotten used to seeing Fuck him. I love the costume. I never liked that costume. <laughs> um, because Willem Dafoe has such a goblin looking face anyway, and they covered it up. It's <laughs> the stupidest thing you could imagine. Like, he has such an expressive and terrifying face. Like, I'm not even kidding. You know what I'm talking about. And they mm-hmm. covered it up, you know, anytime he's in Kyle, which is just so counterintuitive. Yes, but right. look how much he was still able to do with just the voice. Yes, but uh, he, yeah. here's the thing, and I, I don't want to take up any time with this, but comic books were drawn a certain way where you can get away with making people look like monsters and who and who knows what they were actually wearing this is real life if he's not in a suit of armor he's in a halloween costume which would have been worse mm. i'll send you the uh the the other the the rejected prosthetic that they they ended up not using for him and right. no which would have looked awesome and they didn't use it because it was too cumbersome but anyway um but yeah uh I, out of the entire series, he's probably the most, you know, uh, Green Goblin's probably the uh, the most comic accurate. Uh, Spider-Man 2, Dr. Octopus, he's engaging. He's a sympathetic villain. He's played by one of the better actors in the entire series. But um, 
going to have to very strongly disagree with Sean that he's absolutely nothing like the sort of pompous, ego-driven, megalomaniacal killer he's always been in the comics. In the comics, Doc Ock is a bastard uh, and kind of mostly irredeemable. I was, wait, wait, I'm I'm confused. I was kind of saying that they took him away from his character. His characterization uh, in the comics. Maybe I heard. Maybe I heard you wrong. At the, it's I, like, I, I think you did. I, I was trying to okay. say that Alfred, that Alfred Molina, largely eschewed all that over the top bombast. Right. Yeah. And yeah, you know, Doc Ock was the ostensibly the main character in Spider-Man comics for two years, not too long ago, and he still didn't come as he still didn't come close to being as sympathetic <laughs> as Alfred Molina's Doc Ock was in Spider-Man Two. Um, it's a good character. It's a good portrayal. It's memorable. I like it. It's not recognizable as any th- any portrayal that he's had in a comic. So you kind of have to take that in a bubble and say, like, this is a different Doc Ock and you can enjoy it as that. And I'm perfectly OK with that because I love him in, in, in Spider-Man 2 and I love Spider-Man 2 as a whole. Mm-hmm. Now, Amazing Spider-Man was much more concerned with the Peter and Gwen love story, which I think was well, very well done. We talked about like the the insane off the chart chemistry mm. these two had had together, uh, but that chemistry and that story came kind of at the expense of the villains being decent characters. This is where, you know, uh, in the first uh, Amazing Spider-Man, poor you know Reese Ifans was the reverse Doctor Octopus. Uh, where he is kind of, he feels kind of two dimensionally mean and unsympathetic in the movie based on a character who in the comics is one of the most sympathetic and tragic Spider-Man rogues uh, that, that they have. Um, you know, he's not completely unsympathetic, but he, you know, there's, there's this, there's this weird, like he, he loses some dimension once he transforms into the lizard, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, feel free to disagree with me on that, but it's just, I, you know, it, it didn't work for me. The action, uh, with, you know, with the character is great. The set pieces were great. Like, you know, the, one of my favorite scene, you know, fight scenes in the entire, you know, in all three of the series is the two of them fighting on the ceiling. That's, mm-hmm. that was always awesome to me. Um, but character wise, it was, it was weak. Uh, and Amazing Spider-Man 2, they tried to do something interesting with Electro. Here's the thing. Electro is a, is a pretty one note. In the comics, yeah. that's what I was saying about him he's, and Sandman an, and a few he's others. A, he's a very nothing sort of character in the comics mm-hmm. that just appears when they want to do a story revolving around electricity and have somebody for Spider-Man to beat up on without the the reader feeling too bad about it. Um, <laughs> by making him kind of you know making Jamie Foxx kind of a socially awkward loner who's he's obsessed with Spider-Man that feels betrayed by him. They, you know, they tried to do something. They tried to do something different. Right. I can appreciate that. Um, unfortunately, he also kind of gets the Sandman treatment from <laughs> Spider-Man 3, where, uh, you know, his story gets merged into Harry Osborn's story, and then it gets pushed aside for the Peter and Gwen romance, and then it gets dropped down a bottomless pit for an even worse and more <laughs> sheer version of Harry Osborn becoming the Green Goblin than there was in Spider-Man 3. And it's been, we're well established on my dislike of James Franco. So for me to say that this movie did what he did in Spider-Man 3 worse, that's saying <laughs> something. Because Spider-Man 3, I, I, I skipped Spider-Man 3. Like Sandman in Spider-Man 3 looks like he was ripped right from the pages like of a Steve Ditko comic. He looks like he walked right out of a right out of you know a, a comic from 1963. Um, 
Thomas Hayden Church, that's some inspired casting, but he didn't have a whole lot to do, especially after the second act. Um, he's given, you know, the backstory of having a sick daughter uh, that gets dropped off the face of the earth about halfway through the movie. And then he just kind of, he's mostly CG until the last couple of, you know, minutes of Spider-Man 3 where... He's just like, well, you know, I killed your uncle and it's an accident and I'm going to disappear into the wind right now. And Poochie went back to his home planet. Poochie went back to his home planet. Oh, come on. <laughs> I, I, I didn't... Again, again, I feel for Thomas because he took... He, he accomplished what Jamie wasn't, ab wasn't able to. I don't yeah, blame him. For, I don't blame him for that portrayal and for for where no, that story. That's not why I was I do, making that joke. I do not blame him for that. That's 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 an issue with the writing. No. His performance, yeah. we've already established, was fine. It's great. Keep going there, Ben. Um, yeah. So we've gone in, and you know, the MCU villains. Once again, the MCU uh, Spider-Man movies all all have the sort of baked-in additional uh, obstacle if you want to call it an obstacle or, you know, feature of uh, having to integrate all of these characters and with motivations that made sense for the characters that they originally were adapted from, as well as like integrating them into the greater MCU. They actually did a really good job on both counts with Vulture, Vulture in particular, like Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton was terrifying and all he was terrifying sitting in a driver's seat of a car. Yeah. All right. There's no like I don't know if any of the other any of the other maybe Willem Dafoe could have, could have pulled it off, maybe that I think that's about it. Uh, you have to be a, on that level of like creepy villain acting to 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 be that effective. And you know Tom Holland looks like he's shitting himself in the back seat when during that yeah. scene. You know, uh, it's it's funny. I remember I remember way way back when rumors were flying about where the Raimi Spider-Man was going next. The rumor that I heard everywhere was that Ben Kingsley had been that, attached. That was one as the vulture. That yeah. was one. And this is, and this is a great example of sometimes there's more than one way to skin a cat. And if you were to, I think take Kingsley and put him in that same setting with that same script, I don't know if he would have been remotely as effective at being as intimidating as Keaton was in that was in that scene. Might not have been. Yeah. I mean, you know, Ben Kingley it's, Kingsley has kind of coasted into the last couple of years of his career, but well, and, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, far and, and it's it's a big stretch to look at Ben Kingsley and say, nah, nah, dog, I don't think you can pull yeah, this off. At the height but, of his sort of powers, I don't know. He might he might have surprised you, but I in maybe. the last 10 to 15 years, I don't I think he he's kind of uh doing he's kind of in semi-retirement as far as trying right now. Remind, remind me, didn't he ultimately end up portraying that thing unnecessarily called the Mandarin in yeah. Iron Man yep. 3? Yeah. And then reprised it in um, Shang-Chi. So. In Shang-Chi. Shang Shang yes. Yeah, yeah but 
but uh, you know they they resolved that probably as you know without getting too much into Shang-Chi. They resolved it as well as they possibly could. <laughs> they, have. they took the best they could with it and tried to you know the, the yeah. whole thing was a as an apology. It was the Star Trek six of the Marvel Universe. That was one hell of a wrench from the rectum retcon. Yeah, it was. All right, so um, but what else? Yeah, then? yeah, we got, you know, Vulture is, a char- you know, his character, he's, you know, working stiff that he gets the shaft from, you know, uh, and he feels slighted by by Tony by Stark, Stark and, yeah. and, you know, st- is stealing and repurposing black, Mart ali- Mar- black market alien tech, which is actually a really clever use of, like, the, the, uh, the concept of being a Vulture. Like, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Like, he, you know, yeah, Vulture's yeah. a scavenger. Vultures are scavengers. He's, he spent the whole movie scav- He spent the whole movie scavenging Avengers tech and alien tech. It was mm. really good. It was a really good idea. Um, and you know, Michael Keaton. We've already said everything that needs to be said. So that and then um, Mysterio, who's one of my favorite Spider-Man villains, just because of how batshit you can make the stories whenever whenever he's yeah. around, um, because he's all about illusion and you know, uh, far from home delivered on that idea. Uh, it was one misdirect after another, after another, they worked in, you know, all the Stark tech and all the former Stark employees. And, you know, that, uh, you know, Quentin Beck was a deranged former Stark employee. This really pisses a lot of people off that everything, that, that every that, that all of these Spider-Man characters and Spider-Man villains are, are so dependent on, on, you know, the established, you know, uh, framework of, of, you know, what Tony Stark set up in the MCU. And um, I don't, I don't fully understand why, like I, I, it's, you're dealing with it. And this, I'm also coming from, coming from it as somebody who's been reading the, you know, Marvel comics, which have been interconnected since day one. Uh, So, you know, it, it doesn't, it makes sense to me when that th- happens. Let me, let me key into that. I think because people in the comic books, um, there's magic, there's sorcery, there's, you know, there's interstellar stuff, you know, there's any number of explanations for any bit of nonsense you want to come up with in, in, in the comics. Uh, not everybody put on an Iron Man suit and Rob Banks. They, you know, they, they put on Halloween costumes. I mean, the, like, you know, the Rhino being a really great example of this. Look how he is in the comic. He's literally in a Halloween costume running at Spider-Man half the time. What do they do with him in the in the, the five seconds that he's in the Amazing Spider-Man 2? He's in an Iron Man suit. Which you know, I actually, which I, in I, I enjoyed that. that no, was, no, no, I, don't, I love it. But I, you're but not going to yeah. make, you're not going to revolve an entire Spider-Man movie around the Rhino being the, vil- the main I, villain. I think so. what people key into there, Ben, and, and I, and I really believe this is true is that because no one has a better answer for why things do what they do in the marvel universe the answer is always technology and they've already got a known guy creating technology in tony stark so it's an easy when when, when you're just trying to get the kids to the mall you really don't want to overcomplicate things yeah. and telling this big interconnected 20 plus motion picture story if you're sitting was- down on a writer's table and you're like well why does this happen okay because computers okay but who makes computers in this world tony stark great they, next page they also absolutely they, they also wrote an out for that really early on in the mm-hmm. mcu anyway because it's it, yeah, it in the first um alexa stop computer stop <laughs> sorry <laughs> 
they they wrote a really easy out for that anyway in the first Thor movie because he started mm-hmm. he he talks specifically about well you know where I come from you know where you come from there's magic and then there's and there's a concept of magic and there's a concept of technology mm-hmm. and they're so far apart from each other that people in your world don't even believe that magic exists on right. my world they're so closely together there's real they's so close together there's really no difference yeah there's and a you've got the all... dark world where they do yeah. like the, the for the sake of this conversation like the x-ray machine yeah you know, there's a, it's mm-hmm. it's this thing and you know it's and, this magical thing in Thor's universe and Natalie Portman goes it's an x-ray machine on, on our planet yeah sure. and, and mm-hmm. so that you know that's always been the out like i'm like did, mm-hmm. i mean that's all you that's really all you need like in some worlds you know uh the two things seem more integrated and in, in, like in our in our world mm-hmm. they're so far apart that nobody believes magic exists and it's all something because you know all the alien stuff is also technology but it's so right. advanced that you know it, it's the 2001 a space odyssey conceit where like you know uh what if alien you know what if aliens are so advanced aliens could be so far removed from human beings and so far advanced from from human beings that they might as well be gods right. it's the same idea from that that there is in in the mcu it's right. just so, you know that- so much of the mcu is just wrapped up in everyone always having to clean up after either the Starks or Odin. <laughs> so funny, Robert, Robert, when I'm thinking back to Robin and I's um, Everyone Loves a Bad Guy and Iron Man, where we, we, de- we dedicated at least a 20 to 30 minute segment on Iron Man as his own worst villain. Um, the, the worst villain in the Iron Man comic books is Tony Stark. You're not like, wrong. Anything else, Ben? <laughs> You're not wrong. Before you, um, before you move on. In terms of villains, like, I, I think I, you know, I think mm-hmm. I covered everything. Like a, a couple of missed opportunities and a couple of pleasant surprises, I would say. But for myself, um, and I'll, I'll end this segment here with my thoughts, and then we'll move on to the last part of this. Uh, I largely agree with you guys, uh, so I'm not going to belabor this point. I think if you're, if, if all you're trying to do is get as close to the comic book as possible, um, it, it's Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin and and um, and Doc Ock uh, are probably the closest. And then after that, there it's a, it's any combination of either misreading the character or, or slapping the character's name onto something that they just need a big bad for. Uh, while I appreciate Michael Keaton's portrayal of the Vulture and I love it, and, and Jake Gyllenhaal's version of Mysterio, I think they give outstanding performances, and I love them in those movies. Uh, I don't think in either case, um, to my recollection at least, they they got what was written on the page. I I just think they. I think they. I think they took the page and said, "Okay, we need to reconjigger. We need to reconjigger this for the motion pictures and for modern audiences and any number of variables." Um, so while they're good, I don't. I would not necessarily say they jumped right out of the comic books. I think they're still pretty recognizable. I mean, no, they that's are. Just, that's, I think they're still pretty pretty close considering mm. the circumstances. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but yeah, uh, I. I, I think it's hard. I think, you know, which master do you want to serve here? Um, you know, with the audience you're trying to sell tickets to or the, uh, you know, the, the larger general audience you're trying to sell tickets to or the niche comic book uh, fans. And I'll tell you, there are people that would argue with me. No, 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 no. You definitely want to cater to the niche comic book fans. And I'm going to again say, where do you draw the line with that when you're trying to sell a billion dollars worth of tickets? Um, I, I just just to get this out there. We have beaten the Topher Grace thing to death, so I'm not going to get into that anymore. You guys covered 
uh, what's his, the amazing Spider-Man version of the Hobgoblin. Um, I didn't even touch Venom in Spider-Man 3 because I don't care. Beat, we have no. beaten that horse to death. Um, I just don't it, care. It is, it is the, I mean, like, I, I, I'll put Paul Giamatti's Rhino. <laughs> over, over Dover Grace's Venom. I hate it so much. His, bo- Damn, his, his, his Boris Badenoff accent. <laughs> um, yeah, all right. So let me, uh, let, let's shift here gears and let's kind of talk about the franchises as a whole, kind of keeping mm-hmm. with the theme of, you know, who, which version of, of Spider-Man, just taking all the elements, and you guys can answer this question any way you want, but really the, the question that we're going to ask here is, did Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, Mark Webb's Amazing Spider-Man 2, and, or Tom Holland's, really, uh, which one gave us the best, most closest representation of Spider-Man uh, in the comics that we can hope to ask for in film? But before I do that, two things. I do want to point out that, and, and I didn't think about this until we started this podcast, it's, it strikes me as funny we don't have a complete set of Spider-Man movies. Sam Raimi's got taken from him and was rebooted. Mark Webb's got taken from him and was rebooted. And we're doing this before No Way Out, which is going to have a sequel to it. So we really don't have a complete set of Spider-Man stories. We don't have a whole story told. We have chapters. We have fully told chapters, but we have three in different ways aborted series, which I find very amusing. Um, I'll tell you, you know what my favorite version, Ben, of the Spider-Man theme is? And there are a bunch out there. There are orchestral versions, just, you know, there's, there's the to, acoustic I wanted, guy to talk, I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I'm going to give you the opportunity to talk about the music, but do you know where you can find any version of the Spider-Man song, including my personal favorite, which is the Ramones covering the Spider-Man theme? <laughs> That's right, Ben. <laughs> it's AmazonMusic.com. And I don't know if you know this or not, Sean, but we are giving away a free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. Hey. Isn't that wonderful? The answer Worth is yes. Yes. The uh, link is getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network. Again, it's getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network for a free 30-day trial of Amazon Music Unlimited. You can stream all you want, all the Ramones, all the Spider-Man, all the Ramones singing Spider-Man that you want, all the orchestral scores, of which there are a lot uh, of Spider-Man music, or anything else you want, all 70 zillion songs on the Amazon Music Unlimited service uh is there for you and if you after 30 days you don't like the service you can cancel no fuss no must no contracts or you keep it and you pay the monthly fee it's wonderful we use it all the time my friend elizabeth faust who we did the the uh, triple feature on the musicals for uses it a bunch big time fan of it told me all about all the special features it has so give it a click helps us out helps keep the uh the gears going here on the Rattlegion Broadcasting Network. Again, that's getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network. The link is in the description. Ben, give me 10 words or less on what you were going to say about the music. So glad I didn't throw this away. <laughs> yeah, just keep it for safe. Just have it for safekeeping. Well, we'll have you back. It's fine. Staying right there. Um, uh, I, I will just say, like, um, uh, un- undercover, like, you know, the, the, the most, I think, the most underrated score of the the entire series was from the first Amazing Spider-Man movie. Mm-hmm. And number first of all, rest in peace, James Horner. Uh, terrible tragedy and terrible loss. Um, but I've re-listening to that score, and he had an he had the unenviable job of like following up Danny Elfman's, uh, you know, 
original, you know, Spider-Man theme, which became very, very iconic and very, very closely connected with, with you know, that character in live action. I would argue that James Horner scoring him the first Amazing Spider-Man, regardless of what you may think about that movie, gives Elfman's score a run for its money. It's, it's uh, you know, it, it's really... It, uh, it 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 got it gets me in the feels actually like it's 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 that good. Um, Hans Zimmer did the score for uh, Amazing Spider-Man two. It was good, wasn't as good. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I sincerely hope I do not butcher the, uh, Michael Giacchino. I think is the the name of the the composer who did the MCU Spider-Man scores. He was good. He actually. Uh, I give him props for like integrating the original '60s Spider-Man theme into the into the score. I I really love that. Mm-hmm. It does a great job. It feels more upbeat and more lighthearted than than the previous scores, which goes right along with you know Tom Holland's portrayal of you know teenage Peter and all that good mm-hmm. stuff. I would just say like listen to listen to James Horner's Amazing Spider-Man uh, one score in isolation. It is beautiful. And, um, you know, take nothing away from Danny Elfman. That is, you know, the score to a lot of my childhood because I have this, the soundtracks to Spider-Man 1 and 2. Uh, I still listen to them from time to time. The song and band selections have not aged well, but the, the score has. Mm-hmm. All right. I want to answer my own question this way, and then I'll go to Sean, and then we're going to close up with Ben for the night. Here's the problem with all of these. Um, there are good movies. There are best portrayals uh, that jump off the page from the comic. Uh, there are most entertaining stories. And each one hit one of those in the number one spot for me. So I think the best movies, with all of its, even with all of its drawbacks and a bit of overstuffing, are Mark mm-hmm. Webb's Amazing Spider-Man uh, movies. For me. For, for, if, I don't, if I hit myself over the head and forget that I'm watching comic book movies and I'm just watching movies... If I have to judge all of them against each other, I think the Mark Webb ones, especially The Amazing Spider-Man 2, is the best, most well-put-together movie. I think as film, as cinema, those work the best. Uh, my opinion, take that for however many grains of salt you will. I think the most entertaining ones, the ones that get me to you know jump in my seat and, you know, and cheer at the screen, as the kids like to do these days, um, the ones that... Uh, I like to watch with my kids, the ones that just give me warm feels, um, but don't don't really test me as a cinema watcher, don't work the best as cinema, um, or are a best representation of the comic are the Mar- MCU ones. I think they're great. I think they're well-told stories. Um, they, they just, they're more chapters in the MCU verse for what that's worth. The ones that jump, and obviously you know where I'm going with this now, but the ones that jump off the page for me, the ones that seem the most like all told, the ones that seem the most like Spider-Man stories from the comics are the Sam Raimi ones. I personally have issues with them. I've already talked about that. I don't need to repeat myself. Um, but I think I think Sam Raimi got it as close to the comic book as you can. Um, they neither entertain me the most, nor do I think they're the best made movies. But if someone, but if the if the as the TikTok meme says. If he, if you want to understand the assignment, I think Sam Raimi understood the assignment best. Those are my mm-hmm. thoughts. Come at me, internet, if you wish. Sean, <laughs> your thoughts. Okay. As a modern update 
and as a means of successfully interpolating Spider-Man into a take on the Marvel Universe that's very much its own thing and has a lot of adaptation and a lot of liberties taken, I don't have a bad thing to say about MCU Spider-Man except for the fact that it leans entirely too fucking hard into, ha ha, Peter is young. <laughs> ha ha, he doesn't know ACDC from Led Zeppelin. Ha ha, he thinks alien and aliens and Empire Strikes Back are obscure movies. Ha ha, you are old. Be old and feel old. <laughs> it's... It was funny maybe once or that's, twice in that's Civil bit, War. That's bitter generation X screenwriting right there. <laughs> yes, I know. And the problem is, in Far From Home in particular, it takes an otherwise really sweet full circle moment that was just fine as it was and then just absolutely cuts a wet fart on its face. <laughs> You, For those who don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sure you both do. There's a nice moment where Peter has the, uh, the AR, the holographic tech. He's slipping his arm into the simulation of the web shooters. You absolutely know what it's, emu what it's emulating. Again, the, the whole mentorship with Tony and Peter, it comes full circle in a really touching way. You get happy looking at him warmly. He kicks on back in black, and then we just have to just in positively Will Ferrell-esque fashion, we have to beat the joke to death, bludgeon it into a, into a red pulp with, oh, I love Led Zeppelin, and just like that, the magic is gone. Just that, 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 whole, that whole habit that these movies have is the only bad thing. Like that and... Zendaya doing a nice job, but unfortunately, just being called MJ. But overall, those are minor quibbles in what have been two, in all likelihood, three outstanding movies. Um, for for visuals and for really kind of sensory spectacle, I kind of got to go with Amazing Spider-Man. Um, because there were some things, things in terms of sound and fury that they did really, really fucking well. That opening and shot is the most beautiful thing I've seen in a long time captured yeah. on film, Sean. Yeah. And on, and on top of that, yeah, as we've said, absolutely all props to Emma Stone for being what, what so far as the unchallenged quintessential Gwen Stacy we've seen we've seen thus far. I, I'm not I'm not counting Spider-Gwen into the Spider-Verse. That's a whole other thing. But I don't think we could have asked for a better Gwen than Gwen than Emma. And again, my quibbles aside, Andrew was a pretty damn fine Spider-Man. But all of that being said, as far as the movies that jump out at you and are absolutely, undeniably Spider-Man. Not just visually, not just in terms of quips and references, but in terms of heart and soul and being absolutely 
obviously indisputably a love letter from a dyed in the wool Spidey fan. It has to, has to, has to, has to be the Raimi movies. And Eddie, you meant you mentioned the score, right down to the fact that yeah, there may not be a whole lot of of riffs on the '60s Spider-Man theme, but Danny Elfman's score, especially in those first two movies, is always going to jump out at to jump out at me and be instantly identifiable with those memories I have of especially Spider-Man and Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2 as being just absolutely jaw-dropping, perfect cinematic takes on a comic character. And to me, though, to me, though, to me, those are still the textbooks, the measuring sticks for how you bring comic characters to life, do them justice, and still find little ways to kind of do your own thing with them along the way. So for me, it, it has to be the rain, the rainy movies. Just, just all around. I will, I will even throw Spider Man three in there, because, yeah, Topher was an unnecessary, unnecessary burden on the whole thing. But then again, I also have to remind myself that I absolutely loved every second Thomas Hayden Church was on screen. So it, it just it doesn't get better than those three movies. You mentioned uh, visuals, and I think you're absolutely right in terms of Sam Raimi almost selecting like panels out of the comic book and recreating them on mm-hmm. screen. Thinking specifically about Venom and, and uh, Spider-Man Three, though I want to, I just the... like ten, 10 words. I want to I... share this. My son pacing around the living room, screaming, "I hate this! I hate this! I hate this!" <laughs> oh, <laughs> During no. portions of Spider-Man Three was. Utter delight for me. <laughs> I was I that's, was that, that, hysterically. That that's fine, mm-hmm. but the only other comic-based movie I've ever seen mm-hmm. that has ever, as you as you said, just taken panels and breathed yeah. life into them so immaculately. The only other thing I've seen that compares is Sin City. Yeah, no, don't don't that's get me it. wrong. I not not I'm not disagreeing with anything you're saying. My son is reacting to the things we've all reacted to: jazz hands and performances, <laughs> and all the stuff that everyone hates about Spider-Man Three. His almost eight-year-old brain was like, "What? No!" So right now, for him, it, you know, it's the it's Spider-Man, Spider-Man Two, The Amazing Spider-Man, and like dead last, Spider-Man Three. And with that, take <laughs> me home, baby doll, Epic Benjamin. Okay, um, we talked a little bit offline, or you know, off you know, off mic uh, in, mm-hmm. in the past couple of days about um, how difficult it was going to be for me to kind of divorce my objective feelings and my nostalgia for a lot of all the you know a lot of these Spider-Man movies, and I kind of came to the conclusion that it wasn't really going to be possible. Um, <laughs> I still remember um, I went you know i was in uh my first year in college when i first saw spider-man in 2002 rami spider-man in 2002 i remember that day i remember uh i remember being in class on that day and wanting to get out early so i could go to the theater like i could round up my friends go to the theater and get a t- get tickets and and be there you know on time and it wouldn't be sold out uh, i remember my teacher letting me out early my teacher who i am still friends with to this day 
letting you know and who knew how much i love spider-man i was really looking forward to this movie i remember her letting me out of class early and making me promise to spend the entire class you know next, the following week and you know uh i remember i remember being like seven or eight years old still you know, when I first heard about the possibility of them making a Spider-Man movie and then in 2002 seeing it and it's still being better than I thought it was going to be. Um, and my friends who I am also still friends with to this day, who I look forward to seeing, you know, at Christmas time when I go visit uh, my family in Florida who were in the theater with me. And as soon as, as soon as that, those final credits hit, they turned to me and they said, they looked at me like, you know, almost like they were looking for me, Emmy for approval. <laughs> and they'd look at me and they turned to me and they said, dude, there are no words. I still remember that. Um, and how far all of this has come. And we've got probably three more, you know, two more generations after me that, have that now have their own spider-man their own version of spider-man it's a similar thing with teenage mutant ninja turtles every generation kind of has their own to call their own and i am i'm i'm okay with that i i really enjoy that um you know my 19 year old niece who i just spent the day with today is like looking forward to far from home that's her spider-man uh you know and um that's why I get kind of, you know, going back to what I said at the beginning of this, this that's why I can kind of, I think it's accurate to be able to say, that's my Peter Parker, that's my Spider-Man for all of these different Spider-Man movies. I can have my preferably, you know, I can have my nostalgia for Raimi's Spider-Man movies, and I do, and it's a powerful thing, but I can look at each one of these series and say, that's my Peter Parker, because I can look at, you know, Spider-Man 2, Raimi's Spider-Man 2, where Peter convinces Doc Ock to do the right thing by relating the little speech that Aunt May gives him. That's my Peter Parker or you know amazing spider-man 2 if nothing else i cannot hate amazing spider-man 2 ever 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 for this for the one scene where like you know he he helps the little kid and then fixes a science project and walks him home that yeah. that, that was me at that age yeah. that was me that was me wanting you know wanting at eight years old wanting to be bffs with spider-man <laughs> i can never like i can i can never hate that uh you know, in in uh, in Spider-Man: Homecoming, where uh, where Peter, with no special costume and with I think no uh, no web fluid left, goes running into flaming wreckage to save the Vulture's life, despite the Vulture trying to kill him minutes earlier. That is my Peter Parker. That is my Spider-Man. So there's a little bit to love about every single one of these. Like I can, you know, I, I, we can nitpick all all to hell, but like I still see my Spider-Man and I still see my Peter Parker in all of these. Um, you know, some got it better than others. Some got it much worse than others. But there's something that I can point to in each one of these and say, that's my Spider-Man. That's my Peter Parker. And, um, you know, uh, that's why I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that again you know in a, in a to be honest i don't think there's any better sign of a great character overall in any medium than what you just described yeah so that's you know um 
I can say, like I said, I think the the Raimi movies hit, you know, hit the heartstrings for me a little bit more than the others. Mm -hmm. That is what it is. I'm not going to be able to separate uh, what I think objectively from them, from, you know, what I think personally from them. So I'll leave it at that. But I can still say, like, you know, there's something, there's a little bit of my Spider-Man in all of the, in every one of these series. And I hope, I really hope that continues. So, Sean, you missed the first part of the podcast where Ben's going to uh, invest in my Spider-Man project, where Peter Parker is played by Jim Parsons, and we're <laughs> we're going to do later later years Peter Parker, where he has to live on what is it, Mockingbird's couch for a bit. I cast thee out. <laughs> I thought no better way to end a perfectly lovely discussion with utter stupidity. It's exactly uh, the look I had on my face that Sean has right now. That's exactly the look I had on my face. You're not right. alone. You're not alone. <laughs> um, would you believe when I was doing this with with Ben earlier, and I was trying to think of an actor to cast the Spider Man? Like, if you were the, the whole pitch was, like, you know, you're you're making a new Spider Man movie. You're having to give him a list of characteristics, and I said pick an actor, and Ben couldn't do it. So I was like, and the first one, the first one I could think of that wasn't already in a Spider Man movie was Jim Parsons. I don't know why. I don't know oh, why he's on my mind. <laughs> um, all right. Hey, this was a great, um, well-contained discussion. I really enjoyed this. It's the first time in Long Road to Ruin that we've um, compared franchises. We're really, we're, we, we've never done a direct uh, comparative analysis of franchises before. And as a structured discussion, I really enjoyed this. What'd you think, Sean? Oh, same. I loved it. Um, I think it was a great way to kind of continue on with revisiting a lot of these franchises and maybe doing them a little more justice than we mm -hmm. did in the past. And I particularly hope we have a chance to maybe break down some franchises a little bit more in this in this same vein. This I don't know how we would do it with some franchises exactly. Like the only one I could think of where we might have a chance would be if we compared the um, the singer X Men, yeah, uh, to the reboot from First Class onward. That would be one. Um, Star Wars would be another one. You've got three three trilogies that we could do comparative yeah. comparative analysis on. So we have we always have thoughts and we have projects. All right. Yeah. Um, so with that said, this is kicking off uh, Spider Man week with new content. We've had old content already, but this is the first of the new Spider Man content this week as we go into No Way Home. Uh, so let's get into plugs. Ben, you can go first. Uh, tell them where tell them where to find you and what you're doing these days. Very easy. It's right here. I'm Epic Benjamin J on all of the things. This uh, is still a traditional audio format. Yes, that's why I said it out loud, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Burns can't see you winking. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I am Epic Benjamin J on all of the things that includes uh, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitch. The Twitch channel has been dormant for a very long time. It's because I'm trying to reconcile all of these other things that uh, were not an issue during, you know, our wonderful year at home of 2020. Um, eventually, I'll hopefully figure it out and I'll be back to streaming live again. But until then, I still do Sketchbook Saturday every Saturday. Right now, I'm... I'm kind of on a jag of doing, uh, you know, classic black and white movies. It's given me a chance to revisit some of them or watch some of them for the first time. Yesterday, I was I did, you know, Peter Laurie from M from Fritz Lang's uh, movie M, which is a really great movie. And I'm having a chance to do to go back and, you know, 
watch some great movies. Um, since Christmas is coming up, my next few are probably going to be Christmas related. I'm probably going to do uh, something from It's a Wonderful Life next week. And the week after that, I'm thinking Miracle on 34th Street. So that's uh, something to look forward to. But yeah, you, if you follow me on you know all the social medias, I try to post as much art as I can as it comes out. And uh, hopefully I will have more time or I will make more time to stream and to share even more art. I've, I've I've got a Sinister Six series of paintings that I'm going to attempt to finish just as soon as I get the Dr. Octopus one that I started back from my mother's house in Florida. <laughs> Until then, uh, just you know, follow me on all the things. Sean, what's going on with you these days? All right. Well, so I'm not going to be back to streaming until probably January or so both because I'm still kind of recharging my batteries and also because I'm making an effort to actually <clears throat> learn true OBS because fuck Streamlabs. Uh, That's another thing. But in the meantime, uh, I am going to soon, like as in within the next few weeks, be relaunching my blog. I'm going to be relaunching wordpress.comercodex.com. Uh, you will find all kinds of writings about all kinds of things there, stuff we talk about here, stuff I don't talk about here, stuff that I only talk about on social media over on Twitter and Instagram at Comer Codex, which I've kind of, I'm kind of in the process of gradually turning into these Sean tries all of the things forums as I'm kind of undergoing this kind of post therapy uh, reinvention. So if you want to come see my journeys into fitness, cooking, learning bass guitar, learning to draw, just trying all kinds of fresh stuff. Oh, and apparently um, now training to join Ben for the Five Burrows bike tour in 2023. Hells yeah. <laughs> uh, follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram. Uh, fair warning. I'm a very outspoken angry little progressive queer dude so things will sometimes get very very honest if you can stand that great if you can't fine but just don't expect me to change for you as it were do not expect me to dull my colors for anyone else's canvas there it is <laughs> <laughs> been a while yep. so yeah um in the meantime, follow me there. I'm recharging my batteries personally for a couple more weeks, but after January, there's going to be so much of me on those channels that you might very well get sick of me, especially since I told Mark I want to do at least 24 podcasts in 2022. Well, we're gonna. I'm going to help him with that as best I can. Uh, so the next time you will hear Sean and I get together will be a triple feature. Uh, now, Ben, some of this I actually talked about with you. So if you want to make yourself available and you want to hang out with me and Sean, the door the door is open. It swings both ways and around and around. Is January 3rd, we are doing a triple feature for Titan, El Camino, the Breaking Bad movie, and Christine, the Strawberry Girl. Christine. So uh, that's January 3rd. It's an all-cars theme on triple feature. Um, Titan, El Camino, and Christine. So check that out. In the meantime, like I said, it's Spider-Man week all week long here. Um, so tomorrow we've, we begin the four-part uh, arc of the Spider-Verse with Jesse and the aforementioned Benjamin J. Cologne. Please Myself and Alexis Haina 
We'll be reviewing West Side Story. And then I don't stop people. I don't sleep. I don't stop. And I do it all drug free. Just say no, like Nancy Reagan says. It's a dated reference. My Pat, Myself and Pat Mullen will be doing the next chapter of the Mania of WrestleMania. We weren't able to do it this past week. So we scheduled it for late in the night. Monday, uh, we are doing the Mania of WrestleMania 11, 12, and 13. Uh, the next night, myself and Al Sedano will be wrapping up our review of Stargirl Season 2. On Wednesday, it's right after winter has, co has come and gone on AEW Dynamite. Uh, it's a very special Metal Hammer of Doom Christmas show. We are going to be doing the uh, Poppy EP, A Very Poppy Christmas, and then a whole bunch of our other EPs and singles that we haven't listened to yet. So that'll be fun. Christmas with the Poppy in the Church of Poppy. Um, Thursday, myself and Ronnie Adams will be looking at the two Kingsman movies, getting ready for the new Kingsman prequel that's coming out. And then Friday night, um, either myself and Paul Farr or myself and Robert Winfrey, we'll see who makes it to the show first. We'll be doing alternative commentary for Otter Baderbiev versus Marcus Brown. And then just to close out my plug, Saturday night, uh, Daniel Lasby and I will be doing alternative uh, commentary for Jake Paul versus Tyrone Woodley to Electric Boogaloo. Tommy Fury, why do you hurt me so? Um, please like and subscribe uh, on YouTube. We are trying to get on Rotten Tomatoes. There are only two ways for us to do that, either get X amount of subscribers on YouTube or get X amount of reviews and star ratings on Apple Music. One of those two or both will suffice. Um, we don't ask that you love everything that we do, but please at least subscribe. That's all, that's all I'm asking for at this point. And then you'll get all the shows. You don't have to listen to them all. You can delete the ones you don't like, but at least subscribe and then you'll have them and we'll get us closer to me putting myself right up against fat guy at the movies and Michael Medved and all of these people that I comment on on Rotten Tomatoes. I'll put myself out there. We can all have a picnic. All right, folks, thank you for joining us here on Long Road to Ruin. For the epic Jay Benjamin and the also epic Sean Comer, I'm Mark Rattledge. Be well, be safe, and behave.